Before I begin the message, I want to um, give you a dream that I've had three times. It's not really the message, but I want to, and I waited till now because once it goes out on YouTube, um, a lot of people will see it. And so I w waited now to, to just give this brief dream. But I had a dream, and in this dream I was praying for you, I was praying for uh, people online that watch or watch the sermons, and uh, I had this dream three times. And as I was praying, people that were watching began to get healed. Uh, supernaturally, no one was praying for them, we just started standing and testifying, I was healed. And that was the dream, three times, and it was a kind of like a headline uh, that just said, healed in, healed in the glory, healed in the glory. And I've dreamed that three times. And I believe something supernatural is beginning in the kingdom ecclesias. And supernatural miracles, healings, are going to just happen in the glory, whether they're prayed for or not. We'll still pray for people, but I believe something is activating. Um, because I even saw in the dream, I was praying over sermons that were archived. But when they watched, people were getting healed. And uh, so I felt like I should tell you that dream and encourage you any part of the service. Or even if you're just watching online or watching something that happened months ago. God's healing power, the ministry and glory of God, I believe is going to start activating healings. If that, if that is you, testify about it. Come and tell us. And of course, those of you that are watching online, go to comments and say, I was watching. Don't write a book. But just, I, I was healed of this. I was, I was watching and this has happened because we want to brag on God. But I believe there's something about the glory of his presence that is going to supernaturally spawn some things. So, uh, I wanted to say that because I've dreamed it three times. Now we are moving into a supernatural, God-planned era. Nothing like it ever has happened before. It is a great awakening. We've had other great awakenings. This will be greater. Revival is stirring in our world and it has been prophesied that a billion soul harvest will be reached and I believe that I've prophesied that myself a part of that ingathering of lost souls includes prodigal sons and daughters of all ages male and female the Godhead Christ's kingdom is on a mission in this great awakening to bring in masses of lost sons and daughters. Yes, the coming generation is being drawn now to Christ, and that's going to continue. We are going to see a Jesus movement that is greater than the 60s and 70s, and we're being reminded of that right now in our nation. But millions of prodigals are also being drawn back to God. They are a part 
of the greatest ingathering that has ever been. The, the stage has been put together by Holy Spirit for years now for this to come to pass. He has prepared ecclesias for this to come to pass. He has brought divisions of angel armies to bring this to pass. The Godhead's plans for the greatest days in church history are now underway. The Godhead is focused on this. Angel armies are focused on this, especially what I call guardian angels. Remember two angels are assigned to your life the day that you are born and they are briefed on your destiny what God had in mind for you, why you, he would make you. They are briefed on that destiny and they are assigned to you the day that you're born, at least two, to bring that destiny out of you. And they won't stop. Only death will stop them. They will connect you. They will work to, to move you into that destiny. This is happening right now. And of course, the ecclesia hubs themselves are being commissioned for this assignment. And so today I want to talk about what Jesus has to say about prodigals because hearing what he says will breathe life upon this mission. Nothing like what he says. And then at the end of the message today, we will do as we did last week and we're going to pray for the acceleration of this strategy, this mission, in this house and upon and in through this, this world. We're going to pray for prodigals to come home. In Luke chapter 15, we see that the Pharisees come, had come to Jesus and they were complaining about who Jesus was associating with. They were even complaining about who he was willing to have dinner with. After their complaints, Jesus tells them this parable in Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Then he said, there was once a man who had two sons. The younger said to his father, Father, I want right now what's coming to me. So the father divided the property between them. It wasn't long before the younger son packed his bags and left for a distant country. There, undisciplined, and dissipated, he wasted everything he had. After he had gone through all his money, there was a bad famine all throughout that country, and he began to hurt. He signed on with a citizen there who assigned him to his fields to slop the pigs, or feed pigs. He was so hungry, he would have eaten the corn cobs in the pig slop, but no one would give him any. That brought him to his senses. And he said, all those farmhands working for my father uh, sit down to three meals a day. And here I am starving to death. I am going back to my father. I'll say to him, father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son. Take me on as a hired hand. He got up and went home to his father. When he was still a long way off, his father saw him. His heart pounding, he ran out and embraced him and kissed him. 
The son started his speech. Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son ever again. But the father wasn't listening. He was calling to the servants. Quick, bring a clean set of clothes and dress him. Put the family ring on his finger. That would be the signet ring so he could do business. Put the family ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then get a grain-fed heifer and roast it. We're going to feast. We're going to have to have, we're going to have a wonderful time. My son here is here given up for dead, but he's now alive. Given up for lost, now found. And they begin to have a wonderful time. That parable, of course, is called the parable of the prodigal son, but it could also be called the story concerning the father's heart, the heart of God. Jesus actually answers the Pharisees' accusations here with three parables in Luke chapter 15. He begins with the first parable uh, called the lost sheep. If you have a sheep that, that is lost, that shepherd, he is going to go find it. He'll put 99 in a safe place in a pen, but he, he's going to go find that lost sheep. That's the picture of the Godhead in our times right now. That's the picture of Father's heart, and Holy Spirit is amplifying it as we begin a very unique harvest season. Father's out looking for lost ones. He is seeking, he is seeking for the lost ones. He's engaging to find them and bring them back into the fold. And he will not rest until he gets them back. He never gives up. He never stops reaching. He never stops trying. The shepherd never gave up on a lost sheep until he knew that sheep was no longer living. He was always looking. Second parable is the lost coin. And again, you search and you search until you find it. It's worth too much. You look high, you look low, you look everywhere till you find that lost piece of gold. And third is the prodigal. Allow me to explain briefly a couple of things before setting the context. What is a parable? A parable is, is, a, is often a true story that the rabbis would use to adapt to their present times to teach a point. Or it could be an apocryphal story that they would use to illustrate a point, much like a speaker today, much like I might do today, take a, a story from our times or a story from history and use it to speak, uh, make a point into our times. Historians believe all three of these parables were true, but Jesus changed them to make his point. These stories were, were called marshals. Marshals are imaginative illustrations. 
or they are figures of speech, or they are metaphors using historic facts, or they are allegories, uh, allegory comparisons. These were called paraboles, and a combination of the four was called a parable. The rabbis in Christ's days were taught to use parables in their teachings. Of course, Jesus himself was a rabbi. He had gone through six years of rabbinical training in his 20s. Uh, Jesus was an educated man and uh, probably traveled with his uncle, Joseph of Arimathea, who was thought to be a Roman senator in charge of mining, and he would do his studies. And, uh, of course, the, the ending of your rabbinical training ended with a 40-day fast, and Jesus practiced that as well, and that is when the enemy led him into the wilderness to be tempted during that 40-day fast. Passing that test, he picked 12 disciples. I have been led to this passage of Scripture now for weeks, just letting it marinate inside of me. Not because I don't think people know it. Most probably do. In fact, lit literary experts tell us the story of the prodigal son is the most famous and retold story in all of time and in all of literature. In other words, there is wind on this story through the ages. It's, it's a story some 3,000 years old. Rembrandt's painting, simply called The Prodigal, has been viewed by millions of people staring at the prodigal and what it means. Indeed, the most brilliant being in the entire universe tells it. The greatest thinker tells it. The greatest speaker tells it. The wisest man ever to be in flesh gives a riveting account here, and it's loaded with insight, especially when you understand what's behind it. Now, Jesus masterfully weaves into this story insights and principles from the Godhead's perspective. We tend to look at it from ours, but that's not how Jesus gave it. He weaves into, into this the heart of how he, a king of a kingdom, feels about his heirs, his joint heirs, how he thinks about them. Now that changes things, uh, that changes typical understanding here. In fact, the Pharisees much, must have blanched when he said those words. Indeed, this is one of the first times he ever makes this kind of a statement. And most certainly, most importantly, he reveals the heart of Father God and he reveals... His unconditional love. Something again, the Pharisees, the, 
the religious ones, self-righteous, pious ones, must have blanched at because they were all about conditional love. You've got to obey the rules. You, you've got to obey our list, our long list of, uh, of regulations or you are a guilty sinner. You're, you're just not on our level. You're not holy like we are. We are better than you. To say that Jesus despised that religious mindset would be an understatement. He constantly battled with that Pharisaical ideas. He battled with the Pharisees. He called the Pharisees whited sepulchers or painted graves. Painted on the outside, filled with decay on the inside. Sadly, in our times, there are some religious Pharisees that are acting up. I've been asked to comment on it here recently. Some of them have been heard condemning the revival going on on our college campuses in the coming generations. They're writing things, they're saying things, as though it, it somehow is wrong for kids to come to an altar and pray. So it's somehow wrong that they would repent or, 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 or worship God and sing for hours. Well, it's not, it's not real. It's not real but revival. It's just emotions. Or one fool. They, they don't use the King James Version. It's a version. It's a version. They are... They are letting young women stand on the platform and speak. They are letting them read, they're letting women read scriptures. There's no, there's no pastor in charge. It's wildfire. It's gonna cause all kinds of doctrinal problems. No, you are a pious, religious, modern day Pharisee. You don't know God's heart, and the ecclesia must tell you. You're a painted grave. You're a dead person walking. Your insides, your thinking is rotten, and you are some of the reasons prodigals exist. You ran them out. It gets easier from here on now. <laughs> Thankfully, Holy Spirit didn't ask for your permission to pour His glory on them. He bypassed your religious rules. That's what Jesus did constantly. I was reading a book by a Christian historian several years ago. And I came across an ancient story that many historians say is true. Some say it was apocryphal. Either way, it doesn't matter. It works. But his take was that it was real. And he began to give the historic facts that he has studied that were fascinating. And as I read, I was caught up in this ancient history. And it caused Luke chapter 15 to just 
come alive to me. It dates back to 800 BC. It was taught throughout the Eastern Roman Empire, and it was actually a part of mandatory curriculum of world history in Christ's day. Most who were educated knew the story. Law students especially studied the story because they needed to understand application for the laws of kings and how they govern. And of course, history majors were also taught the story. Political science classes were taught the story because of kings and how they, they govern. It was necessary to understand. Jesus was taught the story in rabbinical training in his 20s, though he no doubt had heard it before, told by elders or told by other rabbis as he grew up. The Pharisees and the crowd gathered on this day in Luke 15, they knew the story. They just didn't know how Jesus was going to apply it. The story took place in the kingdom of Urartu, which is in present-day Turkey, northern Iraq, and, and western Armenia. The king of Urartu was Cherimachinus. His oldest son was Uriaius. Uriaius ruled with his father as governor of the city of Tushpa, located on the eastern shores of Lake Van. He was also the chief administrator for Urartu's western provinces. King Cherimachinus' younger son was named Arius, and Arius was chief of palace defenses. The royal palace was located on the Araxes River in the capital city of Sehans. Cherimachinus and his two sons served with distinction. They ruled with great distinction for years, but then an event took place that changed everything. It's amazing how an event can change everything. When Arius, the younger son, was 33 years old, his wife and his infant son accidentally drowned in the Axis River while bathing. And he was absolutely devastated. He was not consolable. This tragedy, and who, well, of course we understand, but it was so devastating. And this young man went into a deep state of depression. The best counselors of the day tried to help him. He had it all available, but he was not consolable. He just couldn't get past it. And after several months in this deep state of despair, he made the decision he would just leave Urartu. He would just leave the painful memory behind. And so he went to his father and 
ask for an inheritance settlement. According to the code of Humurabis, uh, which was laws that were a thousand years or so in operation at that point, it was a law, Humurabis law was a law honored by kings. In it, it stated that the youngest son of a king could ask for a settlement, a settlement of inheritance any time after his 25th birthday, but if granted, he would forfeit his right to rule forever. He would forfeit his right to succession in the king's lineage. He would have to forfeit the family name he would forfeit his position as an heir. And according to Humurabi's law, this was not reversible because it would cause too much, too much confusion if, if you left and then tried to enter back into the succession. So you either did it or you didn't, and it was not reversible. You can't, you can't have it both ways. Well... King Cherimachinus tried to talk him out of it, but he couldn't do it. And finally, Arias was granted the settlement, and he took off for Asher in Assyria, going there as a businessman, and no one knew who he was. He told no one. He just ran. In the town of Asher, he lived it up for three years, spending his fortune on ruinous living and trying to drown his sorrows in alcohol and squandered his royal status. And he racked up so much debt that he was finally thrown into debtor's prison. Well, local uh, a local official who Arias had befriended one year before felt the need to repay him for his kindness and he loaned him the money to pay off his, his debt, freeing him from prison. Well, to pay off that debt, uh, the debt to this official, Arias went to work for a farmer and the farmer put him in charge of his pig operation in charge of feeding hogs, which was the lowest job that someone could do in those times. And history records that he worked for this pig farmer. He worked for four years slopping hogs or feeding hogs until his debt was paid. After paying the debt, Arias in a search to do something relevant, he began to defend the common people and try to defend their cause a bit. And he went to his employer and he complained about how the workers were treated and how, how, uh, how their how they were mistreated and how he had been. And he appealed to his employer. And his employer responded by throwing him back in prison. After a few weeks, back in prison, after a few weeks, one day he sees his opportunity 
and Arias escaped. Many believe that some of the other employees helped him escape. And he took off running, and he, 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 he ran for days, fleeing for days, until he came into his, back into his father's kingdom, northern Uratu, a, a territory he once ruled or helped rule. All told, he was gone for more than eight years. He had, had no communication with his father whatsoever. In fact, the king thought he possibly could be dead. You go back eight years to when this all began. After his youngest son left him, King Cherimachinus had himself become very, very discouraged. He had lost a grandson. He had lost a daughter-in-law. And he had lost a son. History records that Cherimachinus spent days in an upper chamber of the palace thinking and grieving and praying for his lost son. It was told that his depression, in, in his depression, he would at times look out that upper chamber window for hours off in the distance to see if his boy would come back. He, he had hoped that, that he would. He spent so much time uh, up in that chamber and his depression, we are told, worsened until... His older son, Urias, was called by kingdom officials back to back from governing the western province to help run things at the palace because things weren't getting done. It was bad. Eight years had gone by. The oldest son, Urias, was away on a business trip. But now he was on his way back. Arias doesn't know any of this, but, but he's made a decision. The decision was, I'm returning, I'm, I'm returning to the palace. I know that I have forfeited my sonship, I understand that. I know that I am no longer an heir, I've signed it away. I know I can no longer rule. I know that I can no longer have the family name. I know I, I've, I've forfeited all my rights. I know what the law says. I know I have no authority. But I'm starving. And I'll just ask Dad if I can be a slave in his kingdom. One of the servants. They at least have something to eat. So he makes his journey back. The story from 800 B.C. reveals that almost every day, Cherimachinus went up to that upper chamber where he spent time praying for his lost son. And looking out into the distance to see if he would ever return 
This particular day was no different than hundreds of others. And eight years later, hope became reality. He could hardly believe his eyes. He actually saw Arias off in the distance. To the utter surprise of the palace staff and the government officials, this ancient king ran down from the upper chamber. He ran out through the palace and out through the stables. He ran through the gardens. He ran through a field. He ran through a marshy creek area. And he grabbed his son, hugging him and kissing him and shouting for joy. After reacquainting out there in that field, however long it took, probably took quite a while, just his son and the king. Then King Cherimachinus walked Arias back to the palace. And when he got there, he started giving orders. He said, you go kill a nice fat calf. We're going to have a party. And contrary to the law, Contrary to handwritten ordinances of the law. Contrary to the law of Humarabis that is said to be irreversible. King Cherimachinus says, forget the law. I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to extend grace. His sin is no match for my mercy. Put a ring back on that boy's hand. I'm restoring his name. He will once again have my name. He's going to reign with me. He will be an heir. I'm restoring his identity. I am restoring his destiny. Put royal robes back upon him. I'm giving his, him authority in my kingdom. And that day, not a probation period, not months later, that very day, King Cherimachinus restored Arias to his position of chief palace defenses. Wow. When the oldest son got back from his trip and he discovered what was taking place, he really didn't like it. He didn't like it one bit. But King Cherimachinus, he, he refused to back down. He wouldn't. Stating this, my son that was dead will now live and reign with me. He's alive again. He, would, he wouldn't budge. Jesus had heard that story, I don't know how many times, passed down through the generations, apocryphal or real, as most in the crowd had heard. But he changed it just a bit as he teaches 
of the time. Uh, he teaches of that, that particular time to, to these people and the Pharisees. He changed it revealing, he changed it revealing the heart of the Father and revealing his own heart as a king with the kingdom, a king with sons and daughters. Because remember, he taught, in my kingdom, there is no difference, male or female. They're both heirs. They're, they're both sons and daughters are heirs. No distinction made in my kingdom. Revealing his heart. The message came through very loud and clear then. And it comes through very loud and clear today. There are king's kids scattered everywhere. And the king wants them back. The king wants them back. There are prodigal sons and daughters who have left father's house. But he hasn't forgot about them. And he longs for them to return. He wants his kids back. And he says, forget the law. I'm extending grace. Their sins are no match for my mercy. I want back, I want them back in my family. I want to restore them. I, I want their gifts. I want their talents. I want their abilities restored. I want to restore their purpose. I want them to reign with me. I want them to have my name. We cannot be like the older son. We, we, we cannot resent their return. No. Some of them are going to do far more than we ever thought about doing. They are so talented. They are so gifted. Some of our greatest pastors are now prodigals. I'm convinced of it. Some of the greatest evangelists are right now prodigals. Some of the greatest prophets, they're prodigals. Some of the greatest apostles are right now prodigal. We cannot think, how can God restore and use some prodigal more than me? I mean, who are they to be used in the kingdom? They ought to be condemned, not celebrated. Just be thankful your journey didn't, doesn't include four years slopping hogs. You were with the Father every day. You enjoyed the palace. Your journey didn't go there. You didn't experience that loss. No, we must understand Father God's heart of unconditional love for us and them. Can't be jealous of their talents. 
We ought to celebrate along with the Father. We're all in the family. We're all, we're all heirs. All of us win. Who cares who gets the credit? Let a prodigal hit the home run that wins this thing. I don't care. I just want to win. I want a kingdom win. We are in a very special season whereby Holy Spirit is reaching out to prodigals, a supernatural blanket of conviction is going out into the world. Now that's not condemnation, totally different. Conviction means the drawing power of God's love. If he's lifted up, everybody's drawn. A drawing power of, of God in his love. He's reaching them. He's drawing them. It's supernatural. It's an anointing that draws. And he's reaching out to prodigals. This is the season. He has released angels of revival. He has released angels of evangelism to reach them. I have seen them, masses of them. It's the season for millions of prodigals to come home. And we are to be the ones who help them find their way. We're to be those who reach out and help them return to Father's house. Holy Spirit is emphasizing. He's emphasizing this parable to the body of Christ right now. It has wind on it. Because it's a special season for prodigals to come home. It's a, it's a kingdom mission. Kingdom of God mission that's on right now. It's time. It's time. It's time for millions of lost sons and daughters to be drawn and returned to God. It's time for the wandering kids to come back. I believe... Prodigal's returning is the first phase of the harvest that is now to be reaped. They are a part of the kingdom talent pool that's going to help our kingdom reign with Christ. It's the first phase, I believe, of the harvest in this third great awakening. It's the season whereby backsliders... Those who used to worship and serve Christ... Those who used to rejoice together in God's house. It's right now, the, the season's been prepared, in, in which Holy Spirit and His angels are ministering actively to restore them. And a blanket of conviction is going, it'll find them. They're being wooed. That's a, that's a part of, of conviction. It, it, it means wooing, wooing them. They're being wooed. The prodigals are being wooed back to Father. They are busy waking them up. They're busy pressing them to come home. They're busy with dreams, connections, connecting them here, there, connections. And they're also wrestling they're wrestling. Jacob, he, he wrestled with God. Yeah, there is a, there is a loving wrestling. You're not going to be that. I'll wrestle you. 
I'll wrestle your destiny out of you and I'll win. Mm -hmm. Holy Spirit and his angels are throwing a net to millions and millions of lost sons and daughters. And the call of the Father is so clear. Partner with what Holy Spirit is doing. Partner with the new push. Pray it. Pray it, and then pray it, and then pray it, and pray it, and pray it. That's our responsibility. Partner with this present time campaign. It's a part of the great campaign. Begin to reach the prodigals. Seek the backsliders. He's calling us. Embrace them. Accept them. Restore them. Forgive them. Befriend them. Don't you dare be self-righteous. Don't you dare be religious Pharisees. Pray, intercede for my fresh campaign that is now being launched. And this day, I believe there's a launch taking place to reach millions of prodigals. Ecclesias, it's time. It's time. It's time for the launch of our kingdom to begin to draw the prodigals. And we're going to do it. We're going to do it. Perhaps today you're a prodigal. Maybe in this house, maybe you're watching online. You need to come home. Well, come home. I have no doubt this is, the Holy Spirit is wooing you right now. Maybe it was a tragedy. Maybe it was a divorce. Maybe a death in the family, a bankruptcy, abuse. And it caused you to just run. Maybe it was some Pharisee. Perhaps ruinous living drew you away. Come home. Father wants you to reign with him. Father wants you to be an heir. He wants to restore you. Singers, musicians, come. Last week we ended the service praying. And I've left time for this today. You say, we're going to do this every week? Maybe. It's come to that. There are some words that become assignments. I don't know why God does that to certain, in certain ways, but he does. And for this house, I have no doubt he is calling me and you to steward this, to pray it. And we're going to do like we did last week. We are going to pray for the activation of this mission into all the world to reach prodigals. And we're going to pray for prodigals, and I know you know some. Then I want you to allow the Father's heart to come into your heart, and you pray for them. Pray for a loving, supernatural anointing of love to draw them back to Father's house. Pray for Ecclesia Hubs to embrace them and restore them.
Pray for the gifts and talents and abilities in them to be restored. Stand, if you will, please. This will give those an opportunity to come to the altars if you want. Or you can pray at your seat. Just pray. But accept this as more than just an ancient 3,000-year-old story that Jesus retold. Accept the truth in it and accept the revealing of Father's heart, what He wants to do right now. But what He does on earth, He, he partners with His people, He partners with His ecclesias. It's time to pray. It's time to seek Him, seek His presence. More of you, Lord, more of you. It's time to allow His heart for the mission and plans for this season to unfold. It's time to say yes to that, and it's time to pray. And so we will do today what we did last week. We're going to start praying. And if if you're here, again, then you're a, you're a prodigal son, you're a prodigal daughter. Come on up and talk to Dad. Come home. If you're online watching, talk to Dad. He'll run to you. He wants to embrace you. So as they sing, go to a place of prayer. Be focused on this assignment and let's launch this as best we can. Accept it. Accept the assignment. Let's go to prayer. Launch this strategic mission into the world. King Jesus, Holy Spirit, Launch it. Launch this mission in the power and demonstrations of the Holy Spirit. There's nowhere you can't reach. Send your love, embrace, conviction of love, the wooing love. Breathe it into the ghettos. Breathe it into the drug houses. Breathe it. Breathe it into gangs. Breathe it. Breathe it into more colleges. Breathe it. Breathe it into those that are confused. Life. Put, put rings on them. Put new clothes on them. Sandals on their feet. Launch this. Launch it through the ecclesias. Launch it through the voice of the prophets. Launch it through the voice of the apostles, the evangelists, the pastors. Launch it through the ecclesia hubs. Launch it through Ohio. Launch it through every state and every nation. Launch this divine mission. 
launch it into the world. This is your plan. We say yes to it. Launch it. Have your harvest. Launch it. We call their names before you. Understanding you know every one of them. You know their names. You know their destiny. You know why you made them. Holy Spirit, go with our prayers today. Angels, go with our prayers today. Connect them. Connect them to people. Connect them to events. Connect them to situations that begin to speak to them. Speak to them. Jesus, you said in the story, there was a time when he came to himself. It was a time when he came to himself. Millions prepare their heart to come to themselves. What am I doing? I have purpose. I have destiny. I'm an heir. Do what you have said. Do what you have promised and launch this season now. I pray it would launch through the airwaves, through media, that it would launch through apostolic hubs, through denominations, through called ones that have been preserved for this time. Amplify our voice to declare it, to not waver, to never back down, to trust your heart. You will never give up on them, not one of them. You won't. You'll keep finding, keep searching, keep looking. Find them. Holy Spirit, send a wave of conviction around this planet. Pure conviction, pure love, the wooing of love back to the Father. The wooing of love, the cry of love back to the Father. 
It'll resonate deep inside. There's food at Father's house. There's destiny at Father's house. There's purpose there. Mm. Amplify our voice to declare it without wavering. We call forth millions of prodigals. Heaven's after you. Father's after you. We're after you. We love you. We love you. We will embrace. Hallelujah. Oh, Holy One. Holy One. Holy One. feel something happening in the spirit realm that is that is so vitally important and I believe the body of Christ I believe the ecclesia will pick this up and run with it I, I believe something is happening that's going to be important for the kingdom. All I know to do is say yes to it. There's times when I just sense just like a, a holy presence, very peaceful, but it's like God's doing something. He heard us. I feel like he just heard us. I feel like he called us. And I believe that when we responded, he heard us. I believe something's happening. Not because of who we are. has the right to say I'm on a mission and I want my church behind it so I say yes amen, amen. don't let up one of the great tragedies I think is to be in a service or a time when Holy Spirit is really talking 
calling us. And then we forget that. No, we have to steward the message. Steward it with our prayers. Beat hell off of it. Pray it. And not just in this house, but all of you watching as well. And I know we will. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. I wish I could tell you I knew what to do right now, but I don't. I just feel like we did what we were supposed to do. And we're going to keep doing it. Amen. 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 All right. Pray with me about this one. Don't let it fall to the ground. Pray it. Amen. Lord, thank you for the word. Thank you for your promise. We'll just declare right up front. We'll be watchmen over it. And we will pray it. And we will see your promise of millions of prodigals come to Father's house. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.